0: We are on. Welcome to Hebrew Club. Moedon Ivri. Good day. Beautiful day. Uh, the NCAA tournament's have start, so March Madness has gripped at least some of us. We're going to be following the games very closely. Um, and uh, while we're following the games, we're also going to read Zephaniah, which is good. So <coughs> I don't know how those relate, but somehow I'll get them together Somehow, somehow. Somehow. Um, Yes, we're starting Zephaniah, so again, the logic is Habakkuk, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah are the 7th century prophets, and so uh, this will give you guys a good taste of another prophet from about the same era, and we'll be able to see what themes he takes up, how he speaks about them, uh, what are the similarities, if there are any, with Habakkuk, which we just got through in differences, and so you guys can, uh, you know, have a little more entree into the prophetic literature and, and, again, feel good about getting through a whole book, you know. So we'll see how far we get this quarter. Um, but, uh, you know, we should get a good part of it and by early summer maybe be done with this one as well. So by 7th century, um, we'll see from the inscription. Let me read verse 1, and then we'll, he'll kind of place himself more exactly in the picture here. So Zephaniah, <coughs> chapter 1, verse 1. Devar Yahweh asherhaya el not uh, Zephaniah, Ben Cushi, Ben Gedalia, Ben Amaria, Ben Chizkia, Vime Yehoshua, I'm um, Yehoshiahu. Sorry, Ben Ammon melik Yehuda. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on in. We just started. We're on Zephaniah chapter one. Um, the word of the Lord which was, and notice that a lot of times translations will uh, translate this the same way as New Testament Guineamai. Uh, came, the word of the Lord came, but this is a typical formula that you'll see even in, uh, we saw this also in uh, the historical books in First and Second Samuel, the word of the Lord was to. Now notice, this is the longest genealogy, I think, of any of the prophets. Zephaniah, um, notice the name, I don't know if the etymology holds or not, but Zaphon the root means, um, uh, is the name of a mountain or north, but it's also the name of a Canaanite God. So Yahweh is Zaphon. So, for example, some scholars suggest that this is a polemical name. So um, Yahweh is the one who is truly God. All right? But again, just like so many of our names, etymology has nothing to do with anything. And by this time, it may just have been picked because it sounded good. All right? His mom had 12 other kids. What are you going to name him? It's me. But, again, you do see that Yah element. So so many, um, and we'll see this. Uh, I want to make a point of this a little later in the text. A lot of names have that Yah ending um, because uh, you know, we're assuming that the, these people were the people that worshipped Yahweh. Okay? So son of Cushi. Okay? Um, again, this is suggested. Uh, a lot of translations will gloss this as Ethiopian. So suggesting something about his racial background. All right. Son of Gedalia. It's yes, I mean go ahead. Cush, yes. Because Cush sometimes Ethiopian. translates Nubians or Ethiopians. So, it's so you know, again, you never know for sure, but it's suggested that he is from that lineage, a, a, a different race of people, Cushy. Because Cushy is the Gentilic, a Cushite, someone from Cush. Okay. So son of Gedalia. Son of Amariah, son of, now look at this name, son of Hezekiah, Hezekiah. Yeah. Alright, now, uh, it would work, although he would be quite young when he was a prophet, for him to be the great great, what? Great great grandson of Hezekiah the king, if this is who it refers to. Now see, you would think it would put Hezekiah the king to remove all ambiguity, but it doesn't. But then on the other hand, why does it want to go back this far to get to Hezekiah if it's not? So there's arguments both ways as to whether he was of royal descent or not. All right. And now notice, in the days of Josiah, Josiah reigned from about 640 to 609. So notice the second half of the 7th century, 640 to 609. And uh, as you will remember then, this is the time when Assyria was coming to an end and Babylon was rising on the scene. So Nineveh was destroyed in 612, for example. Um, Most, I think the consensus is that Zephaniah was written before Josiah's reform. Remember, Josiah had that big reform because um, he talks a lot about the religious state of Judah being pretty bad. So, again, that's just a guess, which would make it, before 625 and so some suggest it's just a little before 625 and again we don't know okay? other than it was during the reign of Josiah son of Ammon king of Judah alright so it's kind of an interesting superscription different than if you guys will remember Habakkuk who has nothing just the burden which Habakkuk the prophet saw so we don't know nothing about Habakkuk and here you got his genealogy so it's very different how the prophets will introduce the book okay Questions on verse 1? <coughs> All right. <coughs> he really gets right into it here, as you will see. Verse 2. Asofa <speaking> safe. Okay, notice. Asofa safe kol me al paneha adaman Yahweh. All right. This is a really interesting construction here. Asof is an infinitive absolute from the root asaf, which means to gather. Okay. The second word, as it's pointed in the Masoretic text, is a call, a uh, hifil imperfect from suf, the root suf, which means to bring to an end here. So I, the, the word asif, notice it's a shortened imperfect. Shortened. It's not asif, which you would expect. It's asif. Um, but uh, again, It's obviously not a justive form. He's not asking. He's making a declaration. So it's usually translated, I will bring an end to. (laughs) Now, what's weird about the construction is that you have the infinitive absolute from one root followed by the finite verb of another root. See, so the first root is asaf. The second root is suf. Normally, you would expect the infinitive absolute to be the same as the finite verb. There's only like three or four places where this happens. Um... Another one is Jeremiah 8, verse 13, which has Asoph. And you guys might want to turn there because this is so unusual. It's worth looking at. Again, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13. <coughs> Jeremiah 8, verse 13. Notice the first two words, Asoph, asifame. Again, that asifame is from the root Suf. And here you have the full imperfect form, hifil form. See, asif plus the um, suffix on it. So it's normally translated, I will completely bring an end to. So that uh, notice it's usually translated or understood as the infinitive absolute functioning in the same way that it normally would, but that here there's a play on words or maybe it was some kind of, maybe in just this case it was an idiomatic expression, you know, because of the same roots asaf and suf and kind of playing with them, you know. You, you'll, you've you noticed in our reading that Hebrew likes Plays on words a little more, and assonance, things that sound the same, maybe more than we're used to in English. Um, Some of the grammarians simply say that safe is that this is just a mistake in the pointing, because it only happens here. It happens in Jeremiah. It happens with some other words in Isaiah, which are textually suspect too. All right. All right. So if we translate, I will bring uh, completely end everything. Pause. May all, from upon the face of the Adama, of the earth, Neum Yahweh, says Yahweh, or utterance of Yahweh. Have we run into Neum yet? <coughs> it's a frozen form. And, and, uh, yeah, we may have seen it. It almost always, except for a couple exceptions, has Yahweh as the second part, as the construct form, all right, or as the genitive form. Notice Neum You always see it in this form, (laughs) and uh, syntactically, it can close prophetic speech, occur in the middle of it, or uh, at the end of it. Um, It occurs with other formula like ko amar Yahweh, thus says Yahweh. Um, And uh, you will see a form in Akkadian, it's uma or numa, that is pretty widely used in uh, diplomatic language in the land. So some suggest that it comes from that usage or it's cognate with that. But it, it usually accompanies reported speech and Yahweh almost always, except for a few times. The Neum of Bil'am in Numbers 24 is an example, but the prophet says it. Or in Second Samuel 23, another one where David, the utterance of David. So the last words of David, it's Neum David, um, there may be a couple others, but by and large it's you'll see it with Yahweh. It's kind of interesting in its usage there. all right Any questions on verse two <clears throat> All right, good. It's fairly simple so far. Well, yes, Brian. Um, <coughs> Oh, um yeah, let' let's wait and yeah, see what happens because there I think it happens, there's something else similar that happens later and I can't remember, oh yeah, in chapter two verse one, you'll see a kind of a similar thing with different roots. Yeah, yeah. Another thing about Zephaniah right that you'll be able to see is that this is a very, you'll see a nice typical way prophets goes, Oracles against Judah, oracles against the nation promise of restoration for God's people. I was going to say, I, I looked at the one in Jeremiah we you were talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the, it doesn't look like it could be a, a devil asaf. I mean, if, even if it was like in form, they're still both surrounded with it, like a negative connotation. So this one has like all the destruction yeah. around it. So either way, you got to add a new definition. Well, asaf can right mean up. to gather in a positive sense or to gather as, oh, right, yeah. as uh takeaway. So, so, I mean, Similar. Yeah, it would be right. Right. Okay. Okay, verse three. Asef Adam u Behemah, Asef Of Hashamaim Udegehayam, Veha Veh Ma Mak shelot Et Ha Rashaim Vehikrati Et Ha Adam Me Al Peneha Adamana Umyawei. Okay. Again notice the repetition. I will bring an end to Adam, man and Behema, beast. I will bring an end to Oph, the birds of the heaven. Notice here you have a collective, Oph, the birds of the heavens, Udegehayam, Hayam, and the fish of the seas. Vehamak um, sh'elot. What this word means uh, is questionable. Kashal, the root, see the root Kashal there, means to stumble. So some translate it as the stumbling blocks as a <coughs> reference to idols. The stumbling blocks. See, and there you have a reference to the condition of Judah at this time. You know, idolatry. Some suggest that it refers that you should translate it as, a, as a kind of a ruined mass, all the ruined mass. So that it is kind of, I'm going to destroy everything, and the, the ruined mass, al- you know, the mass of ruins, along with mm-hmm. Harashaim, the wicked people. Okay. VeHikrati um, from Karat. I will cut off et ha'adam. Now notice what it says. The man. Maybe we should translate it. See, notice the article here is not a particular man, but man is a class. So we might want to translate mankind from upon the pene ha'adamah, the face of the earth, says Yahweh. First of all, does anyone have any questions about verse 3, any grammar? Yes, Jim. Um, Does Hebrew ever do, So mm-hmm. did they ever put F with that like it just being like the things that caused the yes problem. if you if you oh yeah that's that would be possible if this was was pointed as a participle um i don't oh. know, in other words um if you tra- if you parsed it as ha mak shalot okay. th- then you could see the seray right under there mm-hmm. um there's a noun that um, is used just a few times like that, and that's why it's usually translated. But there are some grammarians who think you should point it as a participle, okay. which would make your translation um, more arguable. <laughs> yeah, okay. to cause to fall, to oh, cause to stumble. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. So notice ha <laughs> If you think it just refers to the land, by the end of verse 3, you kind of get the idea he's talking universal destruction. It becomes kind of important because it seems as if he starts right in with, I'm going to destroy the whole world, see this universal picture, and then he's going to zero in on Judah, all right? So there's a narrowing that's going to happen in verse 4. And Adama is used in other places to refer to the whole earth, so that's the point Especially when he gets in, I'm going to destroy all the fish and et cetera, et cetera, all the birds. You're thinking, oh, this is not just Judah. This is everything. See? So you have God. Boom. Now verse 4. Okay. Did you everybody see I had to jump the line below? Okay. Sometimes it occurs above, sometimes it comes below. That's what happened there. <coughs> okay. And I will stretch out. What's the root of Natiti? From Nata. And I will stretch out, Yadi, my hand over Judah. See the narrowing? And so you can see how the logic of the thing is flowing from universal to particular. And I will stretch my hand over Judah and over all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is a... Another participle um, call from Yashav, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Here's the word vehikrati, and I will cut from hamakom hazeh, the place, this place, et she'ar haba'al. She'ar means uh, remnant, the remnant of Baal. All right. And notice it's in construct form, uh, even though there's a comets under there, the construct and the absolute form look the same, all right? And notice where the accent is. So, she'ar ha'ba'al. So, um, uh, evidently there was, I mean, you know, remnant of Baal, does that mean that some um, bales have been wiped out or is he just using remnant of bale as a, uh, something that happens? You know, there's going to be destruction and then I'm going to even wipe out every remainder that's left of bale. see? Um, Notice how the rest of the verse. Then, so I'm going I'm to wipe out the remnant of the Baal. Uh, et shame Hakemarim, um, with the name of the Kemarim is a noun. It's, it's not that common. Komer, it, it means priests, but it usually is, I think, always idol priests, idolatrous priests. See, with the Kohanim, with the more regular priests. See. So I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal. Um, and then the et could either be another direct object. See, I will cut off the remnant of Baal, the name of the priests, along with the other priests. So the idolatrous priests along with the regular priests. Okay. Questions on verse 4. <coughs> All right, good. Verse 5. Et ha-mishtachavim al-haganot let oh here this is interesting. Lets va hashamaim v'ha mishtachavim ha nishba'im la ronay nishba'im Okay, and those who worship. What's the root of this participle? Mishtachavim. Anyone know the root? This is the only root where this con- uh, this conjugation occurs in the Bible. It's a hishtafel from Hava. Chet vav and it always means to bow down or to worship. okay. And those who bow down on Hagagot, on the roofs, on the rooftops, to the zavah Hashemim, to the host of heaven. See, so notice he's kind of being specific about the uh, different idols that people were worshiping. All right. Now the next one, and those who mishtachavim again, those who bow down those nishbaim who swear to Yahweh. Notice that that's a nifal participle. Okay, so those who bow down, that is those who swear to Yahweh and those who nishbaim swear by Malcom, their king. Okay, now I want you to look at Malcolm, It's very interesting here <clears throat> because if you keep the Masoretic pointing, it's pretty simple, right? Their king, by their king. Um, most scholars would suggest that here the, they're using king as an epithet for the gods they worship or the god they worship. Not, so it's not referring to the king of Judah, but to their king, i.e., who's king in their hearts, their god. All right. But notice, if you look at footnote D, notice what the Septuagint has. They have the reading Melhum, melhum which equals Milcom. And It makes a lot of sense. So notice that the Septuagint suggests you don't read Malcom here, but Milcom. Now Milcom is the name of the god of the Amorites. There have been—I was checking this out a couple days. I guess this morning actually. And there's a—there are these seals that they have found, um, <clears throat> and you know where you stamp stuff with. It's kind of interesting what they found. They found um, um, like, for example, Yahweh is light, the seal. Um, the god of uh, Edom is Chemosh. Chemosh is light. And they found Milcom is light. And so the god that the people worship, you know, you have kind of seals like that. And so Milcom is mentioned also in relation to Samuel, if you or not Samuel, Solomon. Remember when Solomon married the Sidonian wives and they took away his heart and he offered sacrifices to the detestable gods Uh, and it names the gods of uh, Edom, Chemosh and then um, Milcom alright so some suggest that you don't want to read their king here but it's it's referring to see notice (coughs) those who bow down and swear to the Lord and those who swear by Milcom Okay, what kind of people would this be (coughs) idolaters but notice syncretists see they both worship both God Yahweh and false gods see so, there's this mixture that is perhaps being described in 7th century Judah um, in Zephaniah here that's in the background. So, you see, so you have people worshiping the stars of the heaven, those who swear by Yahweh, swear to Yahweh, and swear by Milcom. I kind of like that change in reading that the Septuagint has just because of that. I mean, I don't know if it's right, but at least there is some evidence that that's how it was understood. Yeah, I don't know in what uh, context those seals were, but I, I, it's kind of a confession of faith. Um, I mean, I, and I have no idea why that, but it's kind of interesting given how often we see that kind of language in the Bible, that you see that that was one of the ways that people expressed their uh, allegiance to God, their God. Yeah. Good. Any other questions about verse 5? Okay, we'll can do. we we'll do a couple more here. We'll get through verse 7. Ve'eh. Va'et ha'nesogim me'acharei YHWH va'asher lo bichuet YHWH velo derashuhu has mipne'aronai YHWH ki karov yom YHWH ki hekine YHWH zevach hik dish keruab. This is a good place to quit. So notice uh, verse six continues the list, and those who backslide, nesogim. See the root is sug. Sug, and this is a nifal, so the nun in front, nifal participle from the hollow verb sug, and it means to backslide, and this is the word that's used, you know, when uh, backsliding or apostate Israel or God's people is described. So, and those who backslide may from behind Yahweh. See, those who backslide from Yahweh, and who lo bikshu who do not seek Yahweh. There's a pl. The Kaf doesn't have the dagesh in it. That's one of those letters that sometimes doesn't have it. Who do not seek Yahweh and those who do not derashuhu, again, seek. Bakash and Darash um, are very often used in parallel. So um, those who do not seek and those who do not worship him or something like that. All right? All right. For, good. Any questions through six, first of all? now seven, hush. This is an interjection like hush. shh, hush. So onomatopoeia, hus before the Lord God. Hush, hush before him all the world. Ki karov yom Yahweh. For near is the day of Yahweh. Major theme in the book, the day of Yahweh. So this is the 7th century counterpart to Amos and Isaiah in the 8th century. All right, hush before him all the world. For near is the Yom Yahweh. Ki Heikin. For Yahweh has established a sacrifice. Haken is from Kun, Hifil perfect. Yahweh has established a Zevach. Hikdish, he has set apart, he has sanctified. Again, Hifil from Kadash. He has sanctified Keruav. Call, passive participle from Kara. Kara means to call, the passive participle, those who are called, his invitees. We don't know what the sacrifice is yet, but you can figure it ain't good. (laughs) Okay? So, hush before him before the Lord God, for near is the day of the Lord, for Yahweh has established a sacrifice. He has set apart. He has sanctified his guests. I don't know if I want to come to this one. See, we're going to get this turn. What's happening? All right? Because you know from the whole context that this is a passage of judgment against God's people. All right? So we'll start with verse 8. Um, Made a good beginning here and continue next week. Thanks for coming.